an exclusive interview with Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, plus Beto flip-flops on gun confiscation. That and more on this episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I made the devil run. I gave him poison just for fun. All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gutowski. I'm also the founder of TheReload.com, where you can pick up a membership today if you want exclusive access to dozens of stories and analysis pieces that you just can't get anywhere else. Um, On this week's episode, we have Governor Brian Kemp from Georgia, the Republican governor who's running for re-election. How are you doing, Governor? Hey, good good, to be on with you. Doing great. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Uh, why don't we start off with just a little bit of background uh, about you and, uh, you know, your relationship with firearms. How'd you, do you, you own guns? Which, if you do, what's your favorite gun? How'd you get into firearms? That sort of thing. Man, I, a lot of times my favorite gun depends on what season it is, whether it's uh, hunting or carrying or what have you. But, you know, I've been a hunter, shooter for, gosh, a long time. My uncle kind of introduced me to that when I was a young teenager was going uh, deer hunting with him and that just kind of led to my love for the outdoors and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of hunting, whether it's with shotguns, rifles, other things, and, you know, developed into the older I got, obviously self-protection. And so I've got all kind of different guns from ARs to a lot of different shotguns, um, handguns as well. Got three daughters and my wife, Marty, and I do. Uh, they're all shooting now, some more than others, but our oldest daughter is 21. She just got her first pistol or herself and has gotten her weapons carry permit. And so we're breaking them in right to, to be part of this uh, great Second Amendment uh, culture that we have in our state and our country, and or at least most places in our country. Sure, sure. Uh, well, you know, I think everywhere, but, uh, you know, maybe more, it's a matter of degree, I suppose. Yeah, uh, it is. Depending. But in Georgia, Georgia certainly has uh, quite a, uh, a strong history of, of hunting and, and uh, gun ownership, uh, I think, uh, throughout the state. Uh, I've been there a number of times myself, and uh, it's a beautiful state. So uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, we obviously oh. talk a little bit more about uh, your campaign, uh, some of your uh, time in office and some of the things that you want to do. I think we can start with uh, the big announcement that you made uh, going into this re-election campaign uh, has to do with permitless carry or, or constitutional carry, right? Where the idea is to remove the permitting requirement for concealed carry. Can you talk a little bit about why you decided to uh, get behind this particular policy? What it is you think is going to bring a benefit to the state of Georgia? Yeah, well, look, I'm very excited about, you know, constitutional carry or permitless carry, if you will, in our state. It's something that a lot of people have supported for a long time, including myself. But I think this environment now has it where we can get the votes in the General Assembly to get this passed. And as as you mentioned, Georgia has been for a very long time a strong Second Amendment state. I served in the General Assembly back in the, you know, early to mid 2000s. And, you know, we certainly had a record then I'm supporting the Second Amendment, and it continues today, even though, you know, there's a lot of people fighting against that uh, in our state and in our country, and we're pushing back against that. But to me, the whole constitutional carry piece this year, it's just a public safety issue. With what we've seen with civil unrest, uh, rising violent crime, and, and really uh, a lot of our cities across the country, and certainly Atlanta's no different than that, uh, people are just fed up. You know, they're scared, they're fed up. There's a lot of politicians at the local level that haven't been doing anything about this rampant violent crime for a long time. We're addressing that as well with the Crime Suppression Unit. Uh, Thankfully, the locals are starting to get in the fight with us there uh, to send a message to these folks, but it just went on for a long time and has really frustrated a lot of people. And people are just scared. And then, you know, during the pandemic, you had a lot of these local governments that weren't open, probate judges in Georgia that issued the carry permits uh, weren't processing them. Uh, I talked to a guy that works on my staff the other day. It took him, you know, over 15 months to get his uh, weapons carry permit, which is just outrageous. Where you have other counties around the state, you can get them back in just, you know, a matter of days or uh, certainly no more than a few weeks. And people have just grown frustrated by that. And so we're going to Push through constitutional carry right now. It's working its way through the General Assembly. 
Uh, there'll be a lot of people that push back on that uh, from a national stage and people in our state, but I feel good about where we are there. Yeah, there were, I believe there's 31 co-sponsors in the Senate now uh, for one of these bills. There's a couple bills going through the state house, as I understand it. Do you have one in particular that you're you're looking to push for? Well, certainly, you know, the Senate's got a bill they're working already. It's my understanding. We've been talking to the House leadership, too, and some some members there about them introducing a bill just where we can have two bills moving, uh, which really is kind of good because you can have both bodies weighing in early on the policy side of it um, where it doesn't get bogged down at the end of the session and, you know, you have some sort of disagreement. So it gives us plenty of time. So we're supportive. I mean, we, I haven't introduced my own uh, bill yet because we're just working with the members of the General Assembly. There's plenty of people here that want to get this done. And so we feel like we can be best effective working with all of them, um, let them fine tune it through the legislative process, and, and then we'll get a good bill done. We're also trying to get uh, House Bill 218, uh, which we worked hard, really, really hard last year in the governor's office to get that bill through the Senate, get it over to the House, and it just didn't quite get through last year was a very unusual year with the pandemic there was a lot on our plate and for whatever reason it didn't get done so we're pushing through with that too that's more of a reciprocity bill something that we've been working with the nra on to make sure that you know if you're like if you're licensed to carry in another state you'll have reciprocity here uh, and that's certainly you know what i want is a is a person that has a carry permit now you know i, I like to go to other states where you can carry and uh, not have to have some piece of paper from, you know, another government entity to do that. Um, we got to be careful when we pass those bills. I believe both of them will pass this year. That's what we're fighting through. We got to make sure that the language is correct, where we're not canceling something out when we pass something else, which is more of a legislative quirk. But, you know, we, we've got a, a great group of legislators that will, I think, help get this done this year. Appreciate anyone out there that's in Georgia that can lend us support and help lobby the General Assembly and get them to support that. Uh, but look, this is a this is a great state besides policy for the Second Amendment and the firearms industry. We have great economics, uh, economic development projects, manufacturers here in our state. It's a growing industry, uh, but one that's been here for a long time. So we're continuing to promote that to provide good paying jobs and also good opportunities for a lot of great companies. You know, recently we announced that Remington was coming here. You know, obviously Remington's been broken up, but we're, we've got the brand name coming to LaGrange, Georgia. Uh, we've got Taurus here, Glock, obviously Daniel Defense. Just really a lot of great companies. I was out at the SHOT Show recently visiting with a lot of our Georgia-based manufacturers. And I mean, I learned about other companies that we had that I didn't even know about in the state that are producing ammunition and, and parts and other things. So it's a, it's a growing industry here. Uh, people that um, you know are working in these facilities in the local communities where they're going, they're really embracing that, uh, which is great for these companies. And they're just uh, they're in a great state to live, work, raise their families, and uh, you know exercise their Second Amendment. Right, right, uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, you've seen a lot of exodus from sort of the north northeastern states yeah. uh, by these gun makers over the years, and some of them are are landing in in a number of southern states, but. Georgia's been among those, as you just mentioned there with Remington. What are you, what are you doing to try and bring in more? Well, listen, I'm kind of like every other governor in the Southeast. I'm telling them like, why would you remain in a lot of the Northeast states that don't want you to be there? They continue to target you through policy, um, in the regulatory environment, you know, come, come South, come to Georgia, come to a place where we have a good business environment. We're strong supporters of the second amendment. But also we're selling them on just having a workforce that's going to want to work at a place like that, that can, you know, very familiar with their products and wants to take that pride of ownership of, of making those great firearms that so many Georgians and so many Americans are, are using every single day, whether it's for self-protection, shooting or hunting. And um, that, that's just a culture that we've had in our state. And it's really a pretty easy sell for our state. And of course, it's an easy sell for me personally, because I've, you know, been a been a user and a connoisseur of a lot of these products, if you will. Hmm, certainly. So uh, you mentioned there uh, a bit earlier about having difficulties getting that preemption bill or sorry, not preemption, the reciprocity bill that, uh, you know, would increase the number of states where Georgia's concealed carry permit is recognized and vice versa. 
you had difficulties getting that through the legislature last year. Why are you confident that this year you'll be able to get that through in addition to constitutional carry? Well, a couple of things. Number one, last year it wasn't because I don't think we had the votes to do it. I think it was just, you know, the last day of the session. They had a lot of stuff they were trying to get done. It had taken us a while to get, you know, get it through the process because there was a lot of pinup things. It was a very, it, it was a very uh, n- non-normal legislative session in the middle of COVID and what, what we were dealing with in Georgia at the time and trying to keep everybody, you know, working, get things that we had a hard time getting here before. And it just, you know, really ran out of time. And, you know, that was unfortunate. I would have loved to seen it pass last year, but I feel confident we'll get it this year. And I think on constitutional carry, it's just the dynamics have changed. There's been a lot of people, including myself, like I said earlier, that have been working on this issue for years. Uh, I mean, I campaigned on this issue in 2017 and 18 when I was running for governor. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the legislators that, that may have been you know, uneasy about this. I think with the civil unrest, violent crime, um, just the environment that we're seeing around the country right now. Uh, and there's also, you know, as you know, there's been a lot of other states that have passed this now. And it's just, to me, it's good timing for our state this year. Uh, I believe the leadership is firmly on board, uh, which you need to have, because no matter how hard I push up here, you know, there's always you know, a lot of other strong leaders in the building that for whatever reasons, political or policy or otherwise may not want to move something. But to me, I just feel like all that's lined up this year. So, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic. We still got to get it done, but people just need to know that we're, we're fighting in the governor's office for both of these things. Certainly. And uh, as far as the opposition goes, you, you mentioned earlier, obviously you've seen a number of groups uh, where these laws have passed in other states like Texas, you had some, uh, concealed carry instructors and some police uh, groups come out in opposition to removing the permit requirements. Do you, uh, sh- you know, what do you think of those concerns? What is your response to critiques uh, about, you know, removing the training requirement from uh, having to be from being able to carry a, a concealed firearm? What is your thought on that? Well, there's definitely, you know, you're going to have opposition to things like this. I mean, it's a it's just been a policy fight in other states that we've seen around the country. I think on the law enforcement side, I mean, I had some local sheriffs that were standing with me when I announced, you know, my support for this again this year and, and kind of helping be the bully pulpit, if you will, to get this done, uh, which sends a really strong signal and you know, to the members of the General Assembly and the leadership. And there's been others that have done that as well. There's also been some law enforcement that's uneasy about this. But, you know, my, my point is from a public safety standpoint and a personal protection, number one, it's, it's you know, a, a fundamental guaranteed right in the United States Constitution. Uh, but number two, you know, the, the, the left and uh, a lot of the folks opposing the bill here in Georgia are saying this is going to be criminal carry and all these other things. Well, look, the criminals are already carrying. They don't care what the law is. You know, they're not going to abide by you know, any of the stipulations that will be in this bill or the reciprocity bill or anything else, they simply do not care. Uh, what we don't want to be doing in Georgia is keeping law-abiding citizens from the ability for them to carry, and they shouldn't have a you know piece of paper from the government that says they're able to do that, especially in this environment when you have so many that are not processing the, the concealed weapons permits timely enough. And uh, so I, I think that's why you know, to me, the opposition that's been against it, it hasn't been a, a lot of public opposition by a lot of the police folks, just a, more of concerns that they have. And, you know, we'll certainly communicate with them, but there's plenty on the law enforcement side that see this as this is something that will be good. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you often have uh, disagreement between different groups of law enforcement officers, especially when it comes to, you know, bigger city uh, police chiefs versus um you know, sheriffs, you often see disagreement on gun laws between them. So that's a good point. You know, one of the interesting things too, is a lot of people that are in opposition, you know, they're the same people that are supporting some of the groups that, you know, have have protested and demonstrated and been been part of the, and I wouldn't call it civil unrest because I don't think anything bad ever happened. But yeah, a lot of people walking around with protests that were carrying long guns and, you know, a lot of the folks opposing constitutional carry support those groups' ability to, to do that. 
And so, you know, my point is, let's just be con consistent, you know, for law-abiding citizens and allow them to protect themselves. Speaking of uh, opposition, obviously, uh, uh, you're a likely Democratic opponent if you, if you make it to uh, the, through the primary here. Uh, is going to be probably Stacey Abrams again, who uh, you defeated last time, although I, I suppose she never um, yeah. conceded that. That's sort of something you've had to deal with quite a lot uh, recently, people being upset about elections. But um, we're here to talk about guns. So I just want to focus on her uh, quote on constitutional carry, where she, her critique was, uh, it's not simply about the crimes being committed. It's about how safe we are in our own communities. She said this on a um, talk radio show on 95.5 WSB in Atlanta. Uh, why would we make it easier for people to, who have felonies, who have mental illnesses, who have demonstrated a lack of responsibility? Why would we make it easier for them to carry weapons? Why would we make it easier for our communities to be put in harm's way? Now, I, my understanding is that this bill would not make it legal for somebody who has a felony or uh, has been adjudicated mentally ill is prohibited from owning guns to carry guns. Is that, is that correct? And, and what would your well, response be? I think that? if you really translate what she's saying is she doesn't want law-abiding people to have firearms and to be able to, to carry. You know, what she's saying, uh, obviously those individuals shouldn't be allowed to carry. Uh, the legislation would prevent that. But when you have people that break the law, they don't really care about this. You know, th this is about letting lawful people be able to carry their weapon and protect themselves. But, you know, Stacey Abrams has been critical uh, last year of our, you know, he brought up elections. We passed an Elections Integrity Act. we got the strongest elections integrity law in the country now. It's easy to vote and hard to cheat here. But look, she's going to criticize everything that we do. But what's more concerning about Stacey Abrams is her words prior to what she said on WSB radio, and that is that that she wants to confiscate your guns. You know, I worked the whole pandemic to make sure that would never happen. Uh, with the public health state of emergency that I was given by the General Assembly, we used those powers to make sure that we protected our manufacturers so that they can continue to, to work the whole pandemic. They were never shut down by the government. We never prevented anyone from being able to buy or sell firearms in our state. Uh, we were the only state of any state around us that kept all of our you know, shooting ranges, our state parks and other places open where law-abiding citizens could go there and shoot or, or hunt or do whatever. And because of that, we've seen this, you know, really our whole outdoor industry from shooting, hunting, fishing, everything has exploded. And we're just not gonna allow people to confiscate guns um, in the state of Georgia, especially during some sort of emergency crisis that we have in our state. And to me, when you look around the country now, I think our citizens, I know here in Georgia, but I feel this way around the country too, it's now, important, now more important than ever as to who your governor is. Because you've literally seen one person in a lot of states throughout the country act more like a dictator than a governor and prohibit people from having you know, rights and freedoms that we're accustomed to in this country. And that's what I'm fighting for in, in this great state that we live in. And uh, she would take us in the complete opposite direction. So my sights are continuing, you know, no pun intended to be, be set on her. I know that's who I'm going to be facing in the general. We feel good about having the rematch, and I'm the only candidate in the race that can beat her, and it's vital that we do that. It's vital not only for our economy and for our families in Georgia, but it's, it's vital for our Second Amendment rights as well. And uh, speaking of the primary, speaking of your, your primary opponent, uh, former Senator David Perdue, is running against you, uh, among several other candidates, but uh, he's the the next uh, polls as close to you as, as anyone else in the race. And he, he also supports constitutional carry. So what uh, do you see as the distinctions between yourself and him when it comes to gun policy? Well, look, anybody that gets in the governor's race is now supportive of constitutional carry. I would remind you that I was for it when I campaigned back in 2017 and 18. I've got a strong Second Amendment record. Uh, you know, my opponent was in the United States Senate. I don't know that they ever worked on doing constitutional carry at the federal level or not. He certainly had six years to take the opportunity to do that. So look, this is a politically correct thing that he can do now. I'm not worried about that. I'm running on my record of being a strong Second Amendment supporter, but also fulfilling the promises um, that I told people I would do as their governor. And, you know, this is the fourth legislative session that I'm going into. Two of those were in the middle of a global pandemic. And in some ways, this one 
uh, is as well, even though we're tailing off that now here in the state of Georgia. Uh, but despite all of that, I've passed almost every piece of legislation I promised people to do, and I look forward to fulfilling that promise this year. And I think that's what people want. They want a governor that's got a record of actually not only saying what they're going to do, but actually doing it when they're in office, which is what I've done, versus someone like my opponent who promises everything, goes and does something completely different, or is a Johnny-come-lately to the policy side of this. Okay. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about the NRA now. Uh, so the NRA was at your announcement where you uh, dedicated yourself to passing constitutional carry uh, in this legislative session here that we've talked a bit about. Um, they've you've had sort of a, an interesting relationship with them. They they endorsed your opponent in the previous campaign in the primary, uh, and that but then they endorsed you once you won that campaign. And now it seems like I don't know, they haven't endorsed you yet, but. They're showing up at your um, at your announcement for constitutional carry. They were very complimentary. Uh, what what is uh, what's your relationship with the NRA? How how are things going with them? Yes, yeah, look, it's going great. We're looking forward to having the NRA convention back in Georgia in 2025. We announced that as well when we were doing the constitutional carry uh, rollout. You know, the NRA has a policy not to endorse till after qualifying. So. You know, we'll see what they do there. You know, obviously, I'd love to have their endorsement again. Uh, but make no mistake, uh, the last campaign, I was I was the, you know, I was not the uh, insider candidate or the, you know, establishment candidate. I was kind of the outsider that was running in that race. And uh, the person that they endorsed had, had, a, had a good record with them. And so I get that. I did, too. That's just uh, politics. Same thing happened to me when I was running for the Senate. Uh, against a Democrat back in the day. They actually endorsed the Democratic opponent that I ended up beating, who was an incumbent. Um, but, you know, that that's just part of what you deal with in politics. And I, I you know, I always tell people there's no crying in politics, but we're glad to have their support now. And I've got a strong record as an incumbent governor of standing up and fighting for the Second Amendment, fighting for, you know, not only the NRA, but GA2A is a great group here that's, you know, we've worked with. I'm a member of that organization as well. We had the Hunting and Fishing Federation there, Wildlife Federation. There's a lot of a lot of good groups that are supporting my campaign because they know I've been consistent over the years and they're not just saying and doing these things because it happens to be an election year. And uh, they, they know I've been here at the Capitol fighting for them, uh, even when we couldn't get the votes in the legislature. But I think that's changed this year and we're going to get this done. Now, obviously, the NRA has had their own struggles internally over the last couple of years um, with allegations of corruption against CEO Wayne LaPierre. And now they're facing lawsuits in, in New York and from former contractors. They've lost a lot of uh, revenue uh, between 2018 and now. Uh, what, what do you do you think they're going to be able to help you in, in this campaign? Like, how, do you, how do you view them from a practical standpoint of what the power they have in Georgia? Well, listen, any group that's pro-Second Amendment group, I'd love to have their help and support. You know, obviously uh, things you know ebb and flow with different organizations. I mean, it's no surprise that states like New York are suing the NRA. Um, you know, I would beg the question of why, why are you in New York? <laughs> you know, why are, why are a lot of these gun manufacturers in the Northeast? And, uh, you know, a lot of this equipment that they have is very sensitive, tough to move, it's expensive to relocate. But at some point, you just have to wonder, look, is it worth it being up here fighting all these people who are so against us when you have other states like Georgia uh, that would be a good home for you? But regardless, you know, any group that wants to help us that's uh, like-minded and, and wants to get engaged, we'd love to have their support. Right, certainly. Now, Georgia, uh, obviously, has become the, more of a purple state almost in the last couple of years here. The, obviously, the state elected two democratic senators and you know i wonder what your view on the state's trajectory is especially when it comes to gun rights do you think that that democrats having those sort of statewide successes will lead to more energy for gun control proposals or uh, are you, like are you shifting folks i mean it seems like you're going for with you know constitutional carry that's that's something that a lot of gun rights activists want doesn't poll super well, but but obviously uh, it's it's a very cherished thing among a lot of gun voters. So, do you see 
a lot of forward progress being made uh, for the gun owning community in Georgia, or do you see uh, some, you know, a high tide coming for the gun control group uh, movement there? Well, look, that, that's a great question. Uh, I would tell people Georgia is not a purple state. You know, the last election from a federal standpoint, it was a disaster. I was frustrated like a lot of other people with the results here, with the president, with our two U.S. senators. But also think you got to realize that November 3rd, 2022, I mean, November 3rd, 2020, our legislators that were on the ballot at the same time these races were going on had really a great night. There was a lot of talk that the Democrats would take control of the Georgia State House. They weren't even close to doing that. They were supposed to pick up two or three seats in the Georgia State Senate. They picked up zero. We beat the minority leader, um, an incumbent you know, leader of the Democrats in the State House, and we beat an incumbent state senator. Uh, we lost a really tough race in the district that had changed, but still we knocked off one in the Senate to have a, a net gain. We had a Republican that won statewide on November 3rd when all that was going on. So to me, it just tells us that, you know, I think we're a 52-48 red state. Um, the Senate runoffs here were just a disaster just for a lot of different reasons. Reasons, But I think the lesson to me is, look, we got to run. We can't just call the other side, you know, radicals and socialists and whatever name politicians are using. We got to we got to give Georgians a reason to vote for us. And the reason I think they're going to vote for me is because I've been delivering on the promises that I won the last election on, you know, focusing on education, public safety, health care, strong economy, but also standing up for our, our principles to continue to have Georgia the best state to live, work and raise a family. And, you know, to me, that was a good, good lesson for us. I mean, obviously there was mechanical issues with the, election that we saw and we've dealt with that a year ago to now have the strongest elections integrity act in the country like i mentioned earlier and now we're focused this session on kitchen table issues that georgians care about whether it's you know supporting the second amendment supporting our law enforcement we're putting more money into the georgia bureau of investigation and the attorney general's office to go after street gangs and violent crime and human trafficking so we're standing with our law enforcement when you have people like stacy abrams on the other side you know, they want to defund the police. So all those kind of issues, I think, are going to make voters look at this with a holistic view. And, you know, when it comes to the polling on constitutional carry and Second Amendment stuff, I'll be honest with you, I'm not very trustworthy of that polling because when you look at gun sales, I was talking to Marty Daniel at Daniel Defense about this the other day. You know, a lot of the, the most first-time homebuyers that we're seeing now, which is a lot of them, uh, they're minorities and they're females. I mean, I, I talked to an elderly later lady in the uh, outdoor adventure store, um, did a little shopping after we got finished with our announcement, and she was in there buying ammunition. And I said, you know, what are you buying ammunition for? And she told me, and she, she said, you know, I bought a gun two years ago. And I said, well, you know, how often do you shoot? She goes, I go to the range every week. She said, I took a class. I'm, I'm a single you know, elderly person, so I now I got a handgun for self-protection. But I took a class, got educated. And I love going to shoot. I shoot once a week, and that's why I'm here. I'm getting more ammo. So, you know, that's a person that probably didn't really care about this issue a couple of years ago that now does. Yeah, yeah, no, that's an interesting point. So with a lot of Georgia Democrats, including especially Stacey Abrams, shifting more towards gun control policies and being more favorable towards them than perhaps Democrats in the state used to be, uh, and you see this also with Senators Warnock and, and – uh, uh, Ossoff have both supported uh, very vigorously gun, gun control uh, legislation uh, and policies. Do you view that then as as a mistake on on the part of the Democratic Party in Georgia? Do you think it's going to come back to bite them? Well, we'll see. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Democrats in the legislature vote. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of them that are in really tough districts, uh, swing districts, if you will. And that issue, especially for those that are in certain parts of the state, is going to be a very tricky issue for them. So we'll, we'll see what they end up doing. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they all locked down and vote against it. Uh, but look, the election will tell. I mean, we're fighting for our values here. That's what this campaign is going to be about. we got to get our base to turn out. There's a lot of people that have turned on the policies of President Biden and, and Senator Warnock and Senator Ossoff, whether it's the amount of spending, you know, how ridiculous the spending's been 
uh, with formulas tied to the unemployment rate that punishes states like Georgia, Florida, Texas, and you know other states around us like South Carolina, Tennessee that have done well, kept their economies open. We're getting penalized in the funding formula. So you see more money going to New York and California and New Jersey. I know that probably doesn't surprise any of your listeners that are out there. But like those kind of things are real issues that we'll be able to talk about in our state. Um, and, and not to mention, you know, that they, they want to take our guns away while they're also just letting people flood across the southern border uh, down there in McAllen, Texas. I mean, we've got over 100 Georgia National Guard that's been down there for well over a year now trying to help the Border Patrol. It's just outmanned and doesn't have near the support that they need from this current administration in Washington. And I think people are tired of that. And uh, they've seen real quick that what happened uh, in 2020 was has been a disaster for our country. And it's time for us to right the ships in the midterms. And quite honestly, that's going to be the playbook for how we win the presidency back in 2024. And Georgia's going to be a big part of that. And I'm looking forward to, to being on the team that sets the way in November of 2022. All right. Well, Governor, we really appreciate you joining us to give a, a, an in-depth interview like this on gun policy and uh, to take the time to do that. So we really appreciate it. Hopefully we can have you back on again, uh, perhaps when the general election comes around. Sounds good. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate being with you. Okay. It's time for our news update with contributing writer, Jake Fowleman. Jake, it's nice to have you back again this week on the show. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Stephen. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had a good interview with uh, Governor Kemp there. A lot, of, a lot of good questions. I thought he gave some uh, fairly straightforward answers, which is always nice. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that race plays out in the primary and then in the general election down there in Georgia. So I'm looking forward to yep. keeping up with that one. But uh, we have a couple more stories for you guys this week, starting off with a big settlement out of the Air Force that uh, is related to the Texas church shooting from a couple years ago, 2017. It's horrible massacre. Uh, Jake, can you tell us a little bit more about exactly what happened there? Yeah, so the big news of the week is the settlement came down for the families of the victims of that shooting. Uh, the Air Force is going to be forced to pay them $230 million um, because it was determined in a previous court decision uh, that they were at 60%, which in these sorts of liability cases, <clears throat> you adjudicate uh, who's most at fault for the liability settlement. And they were found to be 60% at fault because they did not share his uh, domestic violence background with the FBI, which would have prohibited him from purchasing that rifle that he used. Um, so big settlement. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, he, he was prohibited, right? Uh, the, he was prohibited under federal law, but the problem was that they didn't share his his records from the his time when he served in the military, like, like you said there. Right. And so he was able to go into a, a gun store that was licensed dealer. He right. had a background check done on him, but he passed because they didn't share those records with the FBI. And um, so even though it was it was illegal for him to make the purchase, the gun dealer didn't know that because the background check system didn't work properly. Uh, and so that that's what the core of this case was, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So because uh, under the Gun Control Act, he had a misdemeanor conviction of domestic violence from his time in service. He was court-martialed and was subject to a year of imprisonment, um, which, as we know, under federal law, prohibits you from owning, buying any kind of gun. Yeah, he was prohibited in a couple of different ways. He had a, he had a long history of uh, criminal activity right. inside the military, but, but the military has its own criminal justice system, and so it's, it's slightly different. Uh, obviously, it doesn't you, you're still prohibited. It's still illegal for you to own guns if you do any of the same sorts of crimes right. that would be make you prohibited as a civilian while you're in the military. Um, so, like, he was in the brig. He served time in military jail uh, long enough to right. to be prohibited. And also, one of the incidents was domestic violence related, like you mentioned there. And and so he he was prohibited like five ways over, uh, but they never shared the documents, right. and so he was able to buy his gun. Yep, and they uh, the DOD actually launched an investigation because obviously the Air Force caught a lot of flack for this when it was uncovered that he had a record. Um, and the DOD uncovered that there were six separate occasions where there was an opportunity for the Air Force to share. They're required by law to share that information yeah. with the FBI. And for whatever reason, they blamed it on training. 
uh, lack of adequate training, um, but six separate occasions where they could have shared that information and they failed to do so. Yeah, and that was an ongoing problem with the military in terms of sharing these sorts of records with the FBI um, in for a number of different reasons, not, not even just background checks, but also for, you know, when the military is tracking down uh, criminals who people who committed crimes in the military and then fled or any number of different things, they, they often weren't sharing uh, important documents with uh, civilian law enforcement like the FBI. And so it was a long running problem. They actually passed legislation to deal with this as well uh, in the aftermath of, of the Southern Springs shooting called uh, Fix Nicks, which, yeah, which just um, basically it added funding for uh, increased compliance from the military branches with the statutory requirements you already outlined there. So, um, you know, that was kind of the, the fix for this was, was to try and get them to comply better uh, because they had effectively just not done the things they were supposed to do. And eventually it led to a horrific uh, mass shooting that took the lives of dozens of people down, down in Texas. Uh, this was also the incident where uh, a bystander um, intervened and shot the, the attacker and caused him to flee. Um, was it, was his name? Uh, Stephen Williford. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen Williford. Uh, and so, you know, this was a, a horrible incident that really could have been prevented if the Air Force had actually followed through on the records keeping requirements that they were supposed to. So I guess that's that's the core of why they're going to now have to pay the victims, families and, and some of the survivors as well, this large sum of money. Although, you know, in these cases, it's always it's always a question of like, is that going to make any difference to the Air Force? going right. forward uh, you know uh, it's it's appropriate for the families to get compensated for their failure for the failures of the air force but uh you hope that it has some impact on the institution but it's always kind of questionable as to whether or not it will how, how much do government officials care about having to pay tax payer dollars to a settlement like this i, I don't know um so sad situation but yeah, it's difficult to say because it's not only limited to just the Air Force. We've seen this in other scenarios as well, uh, that the Dylan Roof shooting at that church in South Carolina, where it was local law enforcement that he admitted that he was a, a user of methamphetamine, which is also a prohibiting offense for purchasing a gun. But that was never shared with federal officials. Um, so you, you sort of see this issue is a little bit endemic. Well, I think that that situation was the FBI screwed up and they asked the wrong locality for information on his pending charges that he had um so yeah there, there's uh, there's often scripts like this i think you you wrote in the piece about uh, uh parkland as well there was a, a settlement over a number of the screw-ups by law enforcement there too right yeah that's right the fbi because it came out that the fbi was warned several times that it was a credible threat that this uh individual was going to attack the school and they just failed to properly investigate um so there was a 130 million dollar settlement last November with the families of the Parkland survivors. Yeah. So it's not uncommon for these sorts of things to happen uh, where these red flags are ignored or records aren't shared and they lead to horrific consequences. Um, obviously it's not, it's not like every mass shooting could be prevented this way, but certainly some of the most famous ones could have been prevented through just um, due diligence and, and people following the proper, uh, record sharing procedures. Uh, so it's really quite disturbing and sad that, that the shooting had to happen at all, uh, given the details here. But uh, yeah, we also have uh, another story this week uh, out of Texas um, that has to do with Beto O'Rourke, right? He's back in the news again. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Beto O'Rourke was uh, doing a campaign stop and uh, long story short, he was asked about his position on guns by someone in the crowd, um, and he totally reversed course from his infamous statement. Um, yeah, backed away from saying that, hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, and it turns out, I guess he's not so bananas about that idea now that he's facing the electoral reality of trying to run a statewide race in Texas. Yeah, he said, yeah, <laughs> he said 
specifically, and here's the quote, I'm not interested in taking anything from anyone. What I want to make sure that we do is defend the Second Amendment, which is obviously a very stark reversal from what he had said during <laughs> the Democratic presidential primary back in 2019, where he said, quote, um, hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. Uh, so the contrast between those two quotes is pretty remarkable, honestly. Uh, and, and I think more than anything, though, it's the timing of this reversal, because I think a lot of people would argue right. that he was going to have to reverse himself on this if he wanted to have a chance of winning the governorship in Texas, of all places. Um, right. But the but for whatever reason, that's not the strategy they went with at first. When he announced in November, and we covered this and talked about it on the podcast as well, uh, he doubled down on confiscating AR-15s. You know, he he came out and said that he stood by those comments. And then uh, later in November, he doubled down again saying, quote, the AR-15 or that AR-15, that AK-47 has one single solitary purpose, and that is killing people as effect effectively and efficiently in as great a number in as little time as possible. We saw that in Kenosha. We saw that in El Paso, Texas, where 23 people were murdered by someone with an AK-47 just in a matter of minutes. This is crazy, and we should not come to expect this as a matter of course in America. And the thing is, we don't have to. That's what he told CNN when he announced the right after he announced his campaigns. It's like not only saying, yes, I stand by the idea, but doubling down on it. There, his argument is that there was no legitimate use for AR-15s or AK-47s, which happen to be, by the way, the most popular rifles in America. And so, so going from that argument uh, that they're, these are have no legitimate purpose and should not be owned by anyone, and if you own them now, you should have to give them in or face severe consequences. He, he had talked about this back in 2019, that you know people who don't turn in the guns in this mandatory buyback that he was talking about, there would be law enforcement consequences for them. And now he's saying he doesn't want to take anything from anybody. Uh, and it's just, it's just kind of odd. You know, we did see, I guess at one point in December, right, there was some polling on this, uh, if you, you know, on, at least on the gun issue. I was just going to say, I think that's, that might just speak to a little bit of this reversal in course. Um, Cause not only did he, uh, double down in November about his stance on AR-15s, but he also took shots at Greg Abbott on his, what he called gun extremism, extremism right. gun laws. But as you said, we saw in a poll among uh, voters in Texas um, that 60% of people actually prefer Greg Abbott on gun policy, whereas only 33% of voters in Texas said the same for O'Rourke. So perhaps he's sort of reading the tea leaves and kind of adjusting course. Right. <laughs> right. A 27 point uh, gap there is, is pretty substantial right. and he's trailing significantly right. to Abbott overall in head to head polling, you know, some, somewhere between 10 and 15 points generally, uh, which is not, is right. not exactly a promising picture being painted of Beto's chances to win this election. But, uh, and, and certainly when you're, when your gun policy is that much lower, that's probably one of the driving points between why, uh, he's doing so poorly overall, but you know, and yeah, I mean, I, I guess you certainly, you could argue, right. That, uh, well, he, he did, he doubled down and then he saw the poll numbers, but, uh, and maybe they have some internal polling as well that show this is going over poorly uh, in addition to what we've seen publicly. Right. But <laughs> I mean, <laughs> who, who couldn't have seen that coming though? That's, that's my thing about it. Like, right. Right. I don't, you know, yeah, it's it's almost political malpractice, you know, and it, it, what's even more noticeable, it's it's not even the general yet. You'd expect maybe a little bit of a, a pivot once the general comes, but he's still in the Democratic primary stage of this, where you typically see a little more of a stronger stance on Democratic priorities. And the fact that he's coming to the center like this before even obtaining the candidacy is pretty, pretty remarkable, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's just such a weird strategy. I wrote about this uh, in a member's piece on over at thereload.com, but it's <laughs> the timing of it is so weird. If you're going to make, 
I think everyone expected he'd have to make this reversal. Yeah, like you said, maybe maybe the normal time to do it is the normal time to do it would be either before you launch the campaign or when you launch it uh, or when you get through the primary and make it to the general. Now, I, to be fair, I guess the primary is maybe not that competitive in Texas for the, the Democratic uh, nomination for governor right now. But so maybe he's already got that locked up pretty well because uh, McConaughey didn't he didn't run. So uh, there's not a lot of other. Uh, high-profile challengers at the very least. But doing, you know, doubling down and then a couple months later completely reversing yourself, and especially in the in such stark terms like that, now he's about defending the Second Amendment um, instead of uh, taking people's guns. Uh, like, okay. <laughs> uh, now, I mean, to be fair, he did this in a response to a question, so it's perhaps not a prepared line on his part and um, that might explain some of the awkwardness of the just meh, the the incredible contrast there between those two statements but um the whole thing just just bizarre i mean i you know adam server was on the the podcast a couple months back in o- october so really before he beto even launched his campaign and we had talked about this because adams uh, he's, he writes for the atlantic and he he lives down in texas now and he, you know, he both he and I knew predicted that he was going to probably have to change his position on this. And then what it boils down to now is perhaps not even whether people will believe him. Right. I mean, I guess that's a question, but will anyone really buy that reversal? I don't know. Uh, but the bigger question is whether or not voters will care that much about it. Uh, maybe they don't maybe they don't buy it, but they don't care because they think Beto is still going to be better than Abbott uh, for other issues that they find more important to them. That would be the, the, the calculation here uh, or the way that this doesn't just completely tank his campaign. Uh, but I, you know, to me, it's going to be very difficult for him to come back from, this is one of his most famous statements of all, all time in his whole political career. You know, he made it as a, it's ironic in a way because He's reversing himself now, and I think we, uh, most people looking from the outside believe that that's to try and help his political chances in this Texas race. But the reason he went all in and said, hell yeah, we're going to take your AK-47s and your AR-15s, um, was bec- it was a political ploy. He had entered that presidential primary as a uh, with a ton of hype and he was leading in the polls very early on in that race and then as other candidates got in uh his star faded a lot and he became a bottom tier candidate and so by by that september debate of 2019 where he made this declaration he was trying to kickstart his campaign he's trying to get attention for himself he's trying to bring his poll numbers back up and so that's why he he did this in the first place. That's why he made this uh, confiscation declaration, right? But it didn't work. You know, he he actually polled worse after doing that than before doing it. And at one point, he even fell all the way to 0% in a USA Today poll. And then he dropped out less than two months after making the declaration. So, that was one of the weird things about this Texas race is that he didn't immediately try to backtrack on this. Um, so I, now he's backtracking in hopes of raising his political chances again by taking the opposite position and or taking some position. To be to be honest with you, we don't really know what he's he actually thinks about the guns. Now, if you check his campaign website and you look at the gun section under issues. He doesn't, he's still talking about taking AR-15s and AK-47s off the streets, but he just doesn't have any sort of uh, policy proposal connected to it. Um, And so he's clearly going to focus more on attacking Abbott about permitless carry, like you mentioned there, Um, because he had, he called him an extremist, right? Yeah, he called it gun extremism. He said it endangers public safety. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he can form maybe a coherent gun policy yeah. now after this massive I mean, reversal. I, like you said, there's no clear-cut policy. Right. Uh, I reached reached out to his campaign to see if they had details on exactly what why he reversed himself, uh, in his own words at least, and then 
what his new policy actually is. I imagine he still supports an assaultant's ban, but probably a more traditional sure. one that bans, uh, you know, sales and doesn't try to confiscate ones already owned by people. That, you know, the, the one that has a grandfather clause, in other words, which is what everyone else is. <laughs> that's what all the current laws have, more or less, sure. uh, to, to one degree or another. But um, it'll... I don't know. I, I guess maybe he's more in line because, yeah, it's, it's weird to go out and try to say that Abbott's a gun extremist while you're holding the most extreme gun policy position on the left. Like this is so extreme. Like, you, you, you don't even see the gun control groups jumping into this. They, you haven't seen anything from the gun control groups saying that they agree with Beto. Uh, the major ones, you know, every town, Giffords, um, they're not... On, they don't seem to be on board with this. I think they're probably embarrassed by it to some degree because it kind of under, undercuts a lot of what they argue, right? Which is that nobody is coming to take your guns, that they just want these different gun safety um, proposals, universal background checks, bans on new sales, sorts, those sorts of things, um, you know, liability for gun manufacturers. And obviously, as anyone listening to this podcast knows there's quite a lot of debate over all of those policies and and whether they're good or bad um, and whether they accomplish what they set out to. But uh, I think it's generally the case that most gun right, gun control advocates argue that they don't want to take your guns. And so you have Beto out there undermining all of that as a major national figure in the Democratic Party saying, yes, I do want to take your guns. Um, perhaps now he's more in line with what the orthodoxy is on on the left, on, on the mainstream left on guns, at least uh, now. And and he's maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe it's more in line now to say, oh, Abbott's the actual extremist because, I, look, I'm not, I don't believe in taking guns anymore. But I don't know how many people are going to buy into that who weren't already going to vote for him. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard to see that persuading uh, people that aren't yet decided. Yeah, seriously. But anyway, that's all we've got for this week. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in again. Uh, if you like what you hear, you want to help support what we're doing over at the reload, uh, we can bring you more exclusive interviews like the one earlier in this podcast or exclusive documents like the leaked NRA financials or the leaked ATF, um, proposal on, on banning, uh, ghost guns and pistol braces. Well, you can head over to the reload.com and support us. By buying a membership. We are a 100% reader-funded organization. We're completely independent, and we want to stay that way with your help. So check out our memberships. We have monthly memberships, yearly memberships, where you get a two-month discount. Uh, and you also have lifetime memberships for those who want to do a little bit more to keep us going here at The Reload and help us expand and bring more gun reporting to you, more sober, serious journalism, analysis, stuff you can't get anywhere else. Um, when you become a member, you get exclusive access to dozens of uh, members-only po uh, posts, members-only reports, members-only analysis pieces, and you get this podcast a day early. So make sure you head over and check it out. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>